<clears throat> this is day five of this June 2022 seven-day session, and we'll uh, pick up with uh, the book we were reading from yesterday, The Practice of Zen by C.C. Chang. And uh, And uh, yesterday we were reading the discourse uh, of uh, Master Poshan, and now we're going to turn to the discourse of Master Hanshan. <clears throat> and uh, again, there's no biographical material that I could find, the same as with Poshan, and, and nothing on Hanshan or even his dates. But uh, I get the feeling that it's somewhere in uh, medieval times, uh, 1300, 1400, 1500. <clears throat> but you know, what, what he talks about in terms of uh, his experiences, others' experiences, and his advice uh, on Zen practice uh, is could have been written today, yesterday, and tomorrow. It's timeless. This is a timeless practice we are doing. He begins, Concerning this great matter, the Tao, everyone has possessed it from the beginning. It is always with each of you. The difficulty is that from the very no-beginning time, the wonderful illumination has been covered over by seeds of passion, streams of thought, the flow of conceptualization, and deeply rooted habitual thinking. Yeah, that covers it. <clears throat> Nothing different today than in the 1500s. When he says everyone has possessed it, uh, would take a little issue with the translator that uh, everyone is it. Saying we possess it uh, is like uh, as if Joe Shu were to say that a dog has Buddha nature. Every one of us is it. Let me just repeat that series of <clears throat> uh, afflictions that uh, cover up this luminous original mind of ours, the seeds of passion. We refer to that in the Four Vows, endless blind passions. I think of, uh, in particular, re reactions to people and things, of anger and other passions, streams of thought, well, we're getting on close terms with that this week, the flow of conceptualization, ditto, and deeply rooted habitual thinking. Again, we know what this is. 
Therefore, we have never been able to grasp the actual realization itself, but instead have wandered among the shadows of delusory thoughts about mind, about the body, and about the world. This is why we have been ever roaming in samsara. From dark path to dark path, we've wandered in darkness. How can we be free from birth and death? Previously, the Buddhas and patriarchs who incarnated in this world, through the use of thousands of words and various methods, taught either the doctrine or Zen. Uh, here, the doctrine is capitalized as a Zen. Either the doctrine or Zen. There's a footnote here. Let's go with this. <clears throat> Chinese Zen Buddhists divide Buddhism into two main distinct groups. One is designated as the principle and the other as the doctrine. The principle is the teaching of Zen and the other one, the doctrine, is the teaching of all the other Buddhist schools. Okay, not important. He continues, all... All their teachings were nothing but instruments to crush the habitual clingings infecting human thought. You could say that uh, if you had to pick one word uh, that summarizes uh, what we're up against in Zen practice, clinging would be a good one. <clears throat> this is another word for uh, attachment. I think people commonly, they hear the word attachment and they think of being attached to Oh, smoking or being a, attached to uh, food and sleep and all, those are the minor ones compared to our attachment to our thoughts. With respect to thoughts, we might better use the word addiction. We are addicted to the thoughts. There is no dharma in the sense of something real or concrete in that which they handed down to us, that is, the, the ancestors. The so-called practice or work is merely a method for purifying the shadows of our habitual thinking and flowing thoughts. To concentrate all one's efforts to this end is called work or practice. 
If suddenly the surging thoughts stop, one clearly sees that his self-mind is originally pure, genuine, vast, illuminating, perfect, and devoid of objects. This experience is called enlightenment. There is nothing outside of the mind, nothing which can be worked upon, and nothing to be enlightened. However, the egotistic passions long accumulated and rooted within us are difficult to wipe out. Uh, but um, again, these passions are not something we want, we want to make war on. Uh, we just have to notice. It's that key word, noticing. St- everything starts with noticing. Noticing these passions or thoughts or, or other afflictions and not cling to them. Our passions um, often are, are sustained uh, and, and even heightened by our thoughts. It's, it's part of the human body-mind uh, at times to have strong feelings, passions, uh, rise up, uh, and that, that happens on its own. But then uh, to not, uh, not bind them to us with our thoughts. So, for example, someone does something that makes you angry, and, uh, okay, anger comes up. Uh, it'll pass sooner or later. It'll pass sooner if we aren't dwelling in thoughts about that person who um, we feel mistreated us. So thoughts are a big part of getting free of these um, toxic passions Blind passions. He continues, Fortunately, in this lifetime, through the help and instruction of teachers, the prajna seed within you has had an opportunity to grow. Prajna means wisdom, transcendental wisdom. Thus, your spiritual aspirations and your determination have been awakened. But you must realize that it is not easy to pull out all at once the roots of samsara which have been deeply embedded within you from beginningless time. This task is not trivial. Only those of will and might brave enough to shoulder such a burden and to press straight forward without the slightest hesitation or timidity will be able to enter into it. It is enlightenment. I can, I've learned over the years <clears throat> in talking with students that 
when they hear some, when some students hear this, only those of of uh, of will and might, there is a certain personality type that'll say, "Oh, well, that leaves me out. I don't have that much will or might, so I guess I'm." Uh, cut out of that. Uh, well, there may be some slight truth to that at any given time, but will and such such qualities are not static. They're not fixed. We we grow them through practice. We grow this willpower. We grow faith. People who say, oh, I'm a little short on faith, I don't know how far I can get. Well, every time you return your attention to your practice, you're growing that faith. He says, Generally speaking, at this time, <clears throat> there are many who practice the Tao, but few of them can come to actual realization. Gropers and hard workers are many, but beneficiaries and finders of the path remain few. Why? This is because most practitioners do not know how to work, how to enter into the task at the very outset. What they do instead is to fill their minds with the words and ideas that they have formed through thinking, or they measure things by means of the discriminating mind, or they suppress the stream of thought, or dazzle themselves with visionary bewilderments. Uh, just this one clause, or they measure things by means of the discriminating mind. Well, the most, maybe one of the most troublesome of uh, these me measuring things is uh, our practice, our progress. To really surge ahead in our practice. We have to not entertain the measuring mind, where I am, where I am in relation to others, how much further I have to go, how far I've come. This measuring mind is just deadly. And we have to learn to see it as it's operating. And so that we can then Return our attention to the practice. Get off this measuring mind. That's the irony. The more we, we uh, use the mind in this way, <clears throat> the more we spend time judging, evaluating our, our practice, the further we get, the worse it gets. Some of them have stuffed themselves with the mysterious words of the old masters and treated these instructions or understandings as their own.
They do not know that all these things are useless. This is what is meant by the saying, to acquire understanding at the hands of others is to close the gate of self-enlightenment. The first step you should take in Zen work is to forget about all understanding and knowledge and concentrate on one thought. Thought is one translation for he's he's leading to <clears throat> a koan. Firmly believe that your self-mind is originally pure and clear without the slightest trace of any existence, bright, perfect, and ubiquitous throughout the entire universe. From the beginning, there was no body, mind, or world, nor any erroneous thoughts or infective passions. Right at this instant, the appearance of this one mind is in reality non-existent. So, <clears throat> this is a little steep for some people. He's talking about how uh, fundamentally, esen in essentially, there is nothing. That, that uh, this world that we think of as the world gives the appearance of being real enough. And we have to respect that side of things. But in its essence, in its essence, there's nothing there. Nothing that is not in flux. That's one way to understand <clears throat> uh, emptiness, is that it, whatever is in flux you can't s say it has any substantial identity to it. It's change. So that's what he means. From the very beginning, there was no, no body, no mind or world. <clears throat> we call the world uh, doesn't exist apart from our own mind. For things are things because of mind as mind is mind because of things. These two are merely relative and both at source are emptiness. The only way to really grasp this is to confirm it through direct experience of awakening. Many people may be able to understand it conceptually, but that's uh, very different from really experiencing it. He says, all manifestations before my eyes are also delusions devoid of substance. They are merely shadows within the mind. 
you know, if this this kind of uh, profound teaching uh, is too much to swallow, you don't need to. You just do your practice. You don't need to believe this. If you do your practice long enough and intensely enough, you'll confirm it through your practice. The trouble is that too many people take this to mean, well, what do you mean it doesn't exist, it's empty? Uh, Again, uh, this is speaking from the essential side of things. On the other side, side of of relative substance, changing substance, yeah, we have to uh, respect uh, the world of change and speeding cars and uh, other uh, things that are obvious. One of my very favorite statements in all of Buddhist teaching is from the Lankavatara Sutra. Things are not what they appear to be, nor are they otherwise. He quotes a master, Yong Jia, one of the uh, more famous of the Chinese masters. <clears throat> Warning, the thought of continuation should be cut short. That means the, the notion of anything continuing from one moment to the next unchanged. Zen Master Dogen said, firewood does not become ash. Certainly in the realm of of thought, Anshan here says, floating, delusory thoughts are rootless and unreal. Never treat the distracted thought as a concrete thing. When it arises, notice it right away, but never try to suppress it. And let it go and watch it as one watches a gourd floating on the surface of a stream. Again, this is uh, some five or six centuries ago this, this document was written. But uh, how could it be any different then from now? He's talking about the nature of thought. How could that change? The, the trick is to, 
to notice the thought in the mind, to notice it as a thought. That's, that's the hard part, because we, we so often are enmeshed in our thoughts. We don't see them as thoughts out there. We're just captivated. We're, we're caught in them. We're snared in these thoughts. But the mindfulness feature of Zen meditation uh, gets grows, and we can more quickly notice when we're in thought. And then it can just help, as he says, just to remind oneself that there's nothing to thoughts. They have no roots. They're there, but they're not there. Probably the most corrosive type of thought is doubt about the doubt that is skepticism. The doubt that uh, causes us to lose faith. And probably everyone encounters doubts along the way. In Sashin, one can suddenly be uh, beset by doubts. It's a big turning point for me when uh, working on Mu, when, when I started to have doubts, uh, particular doubts of whether I could do it, you know. Do I have it in me to come to awakening? Is to be able to remind myself, okay, a doubt is a thought. A doubt is a thought. Is it not? Who would say it's anything but a thought? Thoughts have no roots to them, they have no substance to them. Don't believe them. Don't believe that doubt. Shake it off. He continues What you should do is take up this awareness. As if uh, he's like the awareness, not only of the koan, but awareness of the breath, whatever our practice is. Take up this awareness as if holding a sharp sword in your hand. Yeah, there, in um, in olden times, they very often would use these uh, um, martial uh, analogies. There was so much war, civil war, another war as if holding a sharp sword in your hand. No matter whether Buddha or devils come, just cut them off like a snarl of entangled silk threads. Use all your attention and strength patiently, patiently, to push your mind to the very dead end of consciousness. Just push it on and on. When he says, no matter whether Buddha or devils come, uh, of course he means thoughts of Buddhas, thoughts of bodhisattvas.
Rinzai Linchi famously said, kill father, kill mother. Of course, that's what he meant, the thought. In terms of the the very purest clarity of mind, there there aren't there's nothing better about good thoughts than bad thoughts. Thoughts are thoughts. They're obstructions. Those who determine to practice the Dharma should believe firmly the teaching of mind only. The Buddha said, everything is mind. All 10,000 dharmas are consciousness. Dharmas here, when it's plural, it means things, phenomena. All Buddhism is nothing but an exposition of this sentence. Well, that's worth repeating. Everything is mind, all 10,000 phenomena are consciousness. Ignorance or enlightenment, virtue or wickedness, cause or effect are nothing but one's own mind. Not one iota of anything exists outside of mind. The Zen practitioner should completely cast aside her former knowledge and understanding. Here, scholarship or cleverness is useless. Rather, she should look on the whole world as hallucinatory. What she sees are mirages, mirror images, like the moon reflected in the water. The sounds she hears are hymns of the wind blowing through the trees. She should see all manifestations as clouds floating in the sky, changing and unreal. Not only the outer world, but all habitual thoughts, passions, distractions, and desires within one's own mind are likewise insubstantial, non-concrete, rootless, and floating. What a, how liberating it would be to, to always see problems in that, in that way. 
when uh, when he says completely cast aside her former knowledge and understanding well <laughs> yeah good luck with that all your former knowledge and understanding it's not something we have to do it happens on its own through rigorous practice we we have all of these ideas we've that we've picked up we have it sanded away through practice it happens on its own and usually takes a long time it doesn't of course it doesn't mean that we become illiterate or somehow uh, um, stupid it's 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 get finding freedom from uh, these assumptions about the world and people and things he continues to work on the koan you must have firmness unshakable determination and solid perseverance you should not have the least hesitation or irresolution nor should you practice one koan today and another one tomorrow you should not entertain any doubts about attaining enlightenment nor about the koan being too deep or mysterious and so on all such thoughts are hindrances as is by the way the thought of enlightenment i point them out to you now so that you will notice them later when they come up when your work is being done well things in the outer world will not bother you very much again rinzai lynchy uh, famously said uh, there is nothing i dislike i think a better translation is there is nothing to be disliked speaking from the point of view of seeing the no thingness in everything The trouble is that mental disturbances will arise feverishly in your mind without any obvious reasons. Sometimes desires and lust well up. Sometimes an indescribable restlessness bursts forth. Numerous other hindrances will also appear. I, I mentioned this yesterday, as I do every session. These are the side effects of strong sitting. we have to contend with them all these difficulties will tire you mentally and physically so that you will not know what to do you must then realize that all these harassing experiences are produced by your meditation effort which has stimulated into activity the seeds of habit deeply hidden in your store consciousness from the very no beginning time 
the store consciousness, alaya vishnana, is a big part of Buddhist psychology that that all of our perceptions, what we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, and think as a sixth sense, everything is being filed away in this storehouse consciousness. And the reason I have no doubt about that is that uh, that that things things from decades ago will suddenly pop up out of nowhere, especially in Sashin. Sashin, we're excavating and we're getting opening up this storehouse consciousness. And I would be almost sure that everyone who goes to Sashin long enough long enough has these amazing bursts of memories or, or just from childhood even. I would also put uh, earworms in this category. These, um, uh, in, in my experience, it was uh, songs, little bits of songs, melodies, usually inane, stupid songs that got stuck in there somewhere, just suddenly popping up. Anyway, whether you believe it or not, let's continue. Uh, these are these are stimulated into activity. The seeds of habit deeply hidden in your store consciousness from the very no beginning time. At this crucial stage, you must recognize them thoroughly and break through them. Never take them as real. Never subject yourself to their control and deceptions. Yes. Earworms, same as thoughts. Uh, people come to Doksan, uh, report these things, some stupid song that's been hanging in their mind for a day and a half. Just leave it alone. Get your mind back on the practice. Stop worrying about these these things that come up. He goes on, after this stage, you will feel comfortable and infinitely light, filled with boundless joy. But this is just the beginning of knowing how to work. There is nothing wonderful about it. Never rejoice and wallow in this ravishing experience. If you do, the devil of joy will possess you. That's a... That's a warning. People can suddenly have some wonderful insight in Sashin and just, just go wild with joy. But that kind of joy, not the deeper, uh, grounded joy that comes from years of practice, but that kind of joy uh, doesn't last. How, how could it? He says, those whose hindrances are too great, whose seeds of passion are too strong, 
and whose habitual thoughts are too inveterately rooted in their store consciousness, not knowing how to observe their minds or how to work on the koans, should practice prostrations before Buddha, recite sutras, and repent for their wrongdoings. I, I did that once for a while, a whole year, the repentance part, and it did leave me feeling relieved of things that have been weighing on me. These are, these are secondary practices. They're not at the, the center of Zen practice, but they definitely can, uh, can nourish our Zen practice. talking about the uh, enlightenment experience, possessing this experience, one merges her mind with all conditions of life, cleansing all the karmas and streams of passion and desire. Even doubts are fused into one real mind. But this enlightenment has different degrees of profundity. Very important point. If one is able to work on the basic principle and breaks right through the nest of the eight consciousnesses to turn over the cave of blindness and with one great leap to pass right through, then there is nothing more for him to attain. He is indeed deserving of consideration as a highly endowed person. His realization is the deepest. But many of those who practice through gradual steps gain only shallow realizations. This is absolutely true. The worst thing is to be content with a small and shallow attainment. Long ago I came across a... a, words to this regard from a, a Syrian, a Syrian of the early 20th century. I'll have a stab at his name, Ahmad al-Mutanabi. And I saved it because it goes right to the good Zen advice. Whoso desires the ocean makes light of streams. last sentence of his discourse, of Han Shan's discourse, is the crucial point of this practice is continuity and consistency. Continuity and consistency. I'll stop and recite the four vows. <laughs> <laughs> 